I'm Ryan Yates, and you're listening to Forest Fancast in North America. So we are delighted on this special stoppage time episode of the Forest Fancast to be joined by one of my favourite comedians from my homeland, a podcast host, an author, a voyeur, somebody who's been on Have I Got News For You, 9 Out Of 10 Cats, and just about any other comedy show in England, worth its salt, but most importantly, he's one of our own, he's one of our own, Matty Ford is one of our own. Matt Ford, welcome to the show, mate. Thank you very much, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me on. I don't know if that's the best intro you've ever gotten, but certainly it's the most energetic. Oh, it's, it's, it's the best and most energetic. That's, <laughs> it was very kind. Good stuff. Well, um, I have to say, I mean, off mic, I mentioned to you, you legitimately are one of my favourite comedians, but um, oh boy. you've also done something which oh, it would just be amazing to do, which is have been on Have I Got News For You, which is one of my favourite shows of all time. I mean, if you're from England, Have I Got News For You is, it's something else, isn't it? It's, uh, it's a staple. Yeah, I mean, I grew up watching it. It was the gold standard in, in TV satire. Absolutely. You know, it was um, in the 90s, especially, it was the cutting edge of topical comedy. So to have done it a couple of times, the last time I did it was with Jennifer Saunders. Oh my goodness. Just incredible. I mean, this legitimate comedy royalty mm-hmm. and just had a wonderful time and uh, Ian Hislop was an idol of mine I got into politics and political comedy very young and was obsessed with I Got News For You was obsessed with Private Eye I still have a mountain of old copies of Private Eye here and at my mum's house and uh, you'd be pleased to know that he's an absolute gentleman oh, and uh, he's a lovely man and it's, it's it's a phenomenal experience particularly the second time the first time uh, it's daunting you know it's yeah. like coming on at Wembley but the second time you're just a bit more you can enjoy it a bit more and you've got your feet under the table do you remember who your hosts were on those two occasions first time was Frank Skinner oh cracking uh, who I've got to know a lot better now I mean he's again one of the greatest stand-ups this country's mm-hmm. ever produced mm-hmm. and the second time was Jennifer Saunders oh, um, so two real greats you know p- people you'd want to be on with yeah, people absolutely. that you, you've idolised so that was that was a real treat Good stuff. Well, we'll come on to your uh, kind of how your two worlds of comedy and politics merge. And of course, we're going to talk about Forrest as well, because as I mentioned in the intro, you are one of our own. You are a dyed in the wool Reds fan. have been for many, many years. Look forward to exploring that with you. But before we do, got to ask you, mate, are you safe and well? Tucked up in your house there? So I'm having to shield because uh, I have severe asthma. And I didn't realize I had severe asthma until (laughs) until this lockdown because I've... um, Without going into too much medical detail, I've had it all my life. I've had a few mm-hmm. asthma attacks. But in the last few years, I've had a, a bout of severe chest infections where I've needed antibiotics and steroids. Oh, sorry, so when this first broke, and it was obvious that respiratory issues were a major part of it, and really the most um, concerning part of it, I, I did wonder, and then I checked the uh, Asthma UK website, and two pieces of medication that I'm on are listed as uh, reasons you should shield. So shielding is when you just don't leave the house at all. Mm. So I've been in my flat. I haven't been outside 
at all because I don't have a garden. I haven't been outside for nearly three weeks now. Wow. Um, which is obviously slightly frustrating, yeah. but it is better than dying. And I, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed at people, including friends of mine, who seem to be able to find loopholes in what I think is really clear government advice yeah. to stay put. But I think that's human nature. But I'm good. I'm looking after myself. I'm following the advice to the letter because I don't want to die yet. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, I've got an exercise bike. I've got work to be doing, podcasts yeah. to be on. So yeah, absolutely. I'm all right. I hope you are. Yeah, yeah, we're all doing well. As I mentioned to you off mic, my daughter's type 1 diabetic, so we're also having to be extremely course, cautious. Yeah. We don't want to bring anything into the house. But, you know, one of the benefits of being English, and I, I, I feel bad for Americans because they don't really have to contend with this, is we so rarely see the sun that we're translucent to begin with. And the fact <laughs> we look pasty after three weeks at home is neither here nor there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can see it out the window. I mean, it's not the same thing, you know. It's like watching the match on, on TV. TV. <laughs> But I occasionally just watch YouTube videos of the outside <laughs> to remind myself of like, watching old forest games, getting nostalgic for the pavement. Um, so before we come on to talking about forests specifically, I want to uh, I want you to cast your mind back to when you're a wee nipper and um, first fell in love with football. Mm. Uh, what's your earliest memory, your best memory, perhaps, about football? I remember Italian 90 really clearly. I remember, oh, I think yes. seven is the seven is the perfect age, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I was lucky. I was seven when Brian Clough was managed. So I was born in 1982. So, okay. I, you know, the first summer I really got into football was 1990. And obviously that summer, Forrest won the League Cup. Mm-hmm. Uh, England got to the semi-finals of the World Cup. We'd already <laughs> won the League Cup this, and the Summer Cup the summer before. So I remember, it was through my granddad and my uncle, really. I remember the... I vaguely remember Forrest winning the European Cup the first time against Luton, and then I was far more aware of it the second time. And then Italian 19, I just remember, by that point, I'd already fallen in love with Stuart Pearce mm-hmm. and going through that tournament with him as a young fan. And then I went to my first game that season. Um, we played Sunderland. We beat them 2-0 at the city ground. Steve Chettle and Nigel Clough scored. I stood <laughs> in the old cop with my great uncle and was petrified of standing because of Hillsborough and didn't realise... You know, different parts of terraces are different, and we had plenty of space in the in the, um, in the cop. But the, even as a kid, that was kind of on your mind. That yeah. I was daunted at. I was slightly nervous of going. Yeah. But just the sensory overload of going to a football match for the first time—you've never seen that amount of people all in one place before. Yeah, you, the people are drunk and they're swearing. They piss where they stand. It was just <laughs> fucking. And that's an executive overload. Suite. Yeah, it's like those <laughs> films where like A Clockwork Orange or 1984 when you see people just being overloaded with visual information. Yeah. It was like that. It was just this... It, it's not just about the game. And obviously the game is crucial. And mm-hmm. at the time, Forest were top division side with top players, England mm-hmm. players and all the rest of it. But just that, that first game after that, I remember... I, me- I can still remember it like it's a piece of art, like it's a photo print looking up at the side of the executive stand from that from behind the goal in the in the cop yeah. looking up and just in oh, i think it was the biggest building i'd ever seen certainly just set against the sky yeah i just couldn't believe that all this was built around it and i just fell in love with every single part of it from that day on yeah it's it's amazing that you had that visual image you know that moment in time captured so vividly yeah uh, i had something similar so growing up as a lad i'm from oxford originally uh, fell in love honestly because of cluffy i'm a little bit older than you <laughs> so I remember seeing him on TV and just being yeah. uh, just just completely in awe of this man. It was just such an astonishing, a charismatic individual. 
Uh, and also, as I mentioned on previous podcast, listeners will have heard this story a bunch of times. All my mates were Liverpool and Man United fans. I wanted to do something different. So Good for you. Yeah, and at the time, Oxford United really wasn't a legitimate option because I think uh, they were almost semi-pro. But as, uh, as I was coming up in my teen years, Oxford United... And I made it all the way to the top division. And so I would go to the Manor Ground periodically, although the highlight of my season every season was when Forrest showed up because I got to see my team and I had to be yeah. a little bit quiet about it, but I got to see my team <laughs> at the Manor Ground. So my earliest thoughts, uh, my earliest memories of being at the Manor Ground are very warm, but my first memory of walking out, walking out at the city ground, I, I just don't have words. I mean, it's, yeah. it is literally like you're at your temple. And you yes. just step out and you take in the field and you take in the seats and like you said, all the stands. And it is, I mean, I have the same feeling that you do in that I have that snapshot in my mind. I can remember the feeling in the pit of my stomach. It's just it, oh, remarkable. It's like being able to, you know, as a kid, when you basically experience anything like that through the telly, mm. it's like being put into a Hollywood film. You're like, yes. this, this thing is tangible and you've only ever known it through a TV set. And then all of a sudden... You, it'd be like being dropped on the set of Titanic and being uh, standing next to Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet or something like that. You're like, Nigel Clough is there. If I <laughs> shout, he can hear me. Right. And I can smell the grass. You know, it's just everything. The sights, the smells of the burgers and the frying onions as you go over Trent Bridge. Yep. The sheer amount of people, the smell, the sort of warm smell of booze on people's breath. The rebelliousness of it all, it feels like the rules don't really exist there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just grabs you in every way it's possible to be grabbed. Yeah, it really does. So those are your memories as it relates to sport, sport broadly or football broadly and obviously Forest specifically. But I'm wondering, when you're running around in your backyard as a little lad, kicking the ball around, scoring winning goals in cup finals, probably for Nottingham Forest, I would imagine. <laughs> yes. Who were you? Which were the players that you idolised back in the day? Pierce and only P- like I was so loyal to Pierce just as an individual. I loved other Forest players, obviously. And I'm the sort of person that I think anyone who's ever worn the Forest shirt in any league even if it was they came on as a sub in league one there's a magic they've got to do something that most fans would kill to do so mm-hmm. like, I, I respect them all but I was always Pierce yeah. like way 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 above everyone else and I felt really loyal to him and I think I never wanted to be anyone else I would never pretend to be the cooler players I just thought and I think because of Pierce I fell in love with him the summer that he missed a penalty. So he became Mm -hmm. a a kind of, not a figure of fun because he's too hard for that, but he certainly was mocked. Ridiculed. Yeah, ridiculed. Yeah. And and until he scores that penalty again, really, he's carrying that. And we all remember away fans singing Psycho as a German and stuff like that. And certainly at school, it wasn't, you know, if you're choosing to be Stuart Pearce after a World Cup where he's missed a penalty and cried, you're an idiot. Yeah. You know, to everyone else. But I was just like, no, he's the guy. I'm, I'm... and I tried to play like him, and mm-hmm. um, as you do when you're a kid, you know, <laughs> the thought I was hard, and I, I used to measure, I used to check my thighs. My mum reminds me of this. <laughs> check my thighs in the mirror in the morning to see if they were as big as Stuart Pierce's. Like eight years old, I used to write to him. I got a lovely letter back once. Oh no way! I, inv- I invited him to my seventh birthday, and I, I kick myself. I think about this at least once a week. I got a lovely letter back, handwritten handwritten envelope with a little forest show in it. And every morning I was waiting for that post. Yeah. I invited him to my seventh birthday and I needed him to come. And I got the letter back and it was handwritten on the front. And the whole letter was handwritten on a little bit of writing paper. And firstly, in the top right-hand corner of the letter, he'd given the address as Knott's Forest. 
My granddad was livid with that. So that was the first so American thing listeners, then. Matt, we need to set context here. Of American course. listeners might not be familiar oh. with this that faux pas. So, so well, a lot of people around the world make the mistake because there are two teams in Nottinghamshire. Well, there's Notts County and there's Nottingham Forest, and some people, even people with years in the game, call us wrongly Notts Forest. <coughs> Robbie Savage. Sorry, Robbie Savage. I mean, <laughs> Guy Sports seems to do it on a regular basis. Advertising oh, games. Don't even. It's just one of those things because we yeah. go Notts County, Notts Forest. Like they go Man City, Man United. They don't mm-hmm. realise. And the difference is Nottinghamshire. Notts is a, an abbreviation of Nottinghamshire, which is the county. So mm-hmm. Notts County. Nottingham is a city mm-hmm. and cannot be abbreviated to Notts anyway. So it's a small thing, but you know, for the diehard fans. It, my granddad was a bit miffed for that, but it, so it's handwritten, beautiful handwritten writing. There's a signed photo enclosed with it. And he used the phrase, he said he couldn't come to my birthday party because he had a prior engagement. Wow. Which even as a seven-year-old, it struck me as odd that he was using such adult language yeah. to a kid. I was like, yeah. prior engagement. You, know, you could just say, I've got something else on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but a prior engagement. And it's just that phrase is always... But I remember taking it into school and I, it's one of those things where it's not as if though I can remember a specific time where I've lost it. It's not as if though I had it on the bus and then I got off the bus and it wasn't there. Mm. I cannot for the life of me remember where it is. And I just imagine it's in an old house somewhere. And Gutting. Probably, uh, I, I'm sure you can get him to write another one. Yeah, I'm sure if you invited him to your next birthday, Matt, he'd say... <laughs> You know what? I've met him a couple of times since because he he presents on Talk Sport a lot. I'm occasionally on it as a guest. Yep. And uh, I sort of fanboyed over him the first time and it made things awkward. So I I do it less. (laughs) But at least I got to meet him again. So that's cool. So Reservoir Red Dogs. I wasn't going to go there just now, but I'm going to. I'm going to take a quick turn here off, off, off the beaten path that I've worn to say you just use the term fanboy. Yeah, you have the dream. I mean, you've created the dream oh. scenario there. So, anyone who doesn't know, Matt hosts uh, this podcast called Reservoir Red Dogs, where he basically just has on all of the players he idolizes from down yeah. the years uh, that have played for Nottingham Forest, and then proceeds for about an hour to ask a few really good questions, but most of the time just be gushing. Right? I mean, yeah, just, just be squealing. And gushing and asking them where their shirts are and yeah. the forest <laughs> and it's shirts. brilliant it's brilliant like if you're a forest fan you need to check out reservoir red dogs because that's what it means to be a fan of something like you capture it so perfectly in that podcast mate oh that is so kind of you to say because we we make it really we make it for other fans obviously because that's what it's for um otherwise it would just be a it would just be a private meeting. <laughs> um, but but it's made from a... Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. This is a, basically, I've basically found a way to legally stalk Forest <laughs> and luring them to a, a studio in Nottingham and, and pouring over them. But they... Um, I, I think it's completely uncynical. And it's not an, it's not an examination of where Forest are now or a topical conversation about tactics or anything like that. Mm. It is a show made purely out of the sort of fan that I am, which is I idolize anyone who's worn the shirt. I'm fascinated about everyone's experience playing for Forest in every era. And I think it's really just brilliant for fans to hear what goes on behind the scenes. So mm. um, it was Johnny Owen who first came up with the idea for it. Okay. And we knocked a few titles around and he came up with the title. 
And then we were thinking about having a co-host as well. And I'd met Paul McGregor through Johnny in a pub in Beeston a couple of Christmases beforehand. And we got on really well. And obviously he is a, a forest legend. Mm-hmm. And we basically, just to see if we had any chemistry, we went out on the piss a couple of times. <laughs> and we had a lot of chemistry. So Excellent. it was great. So we just knew straight away it, it, it would work. Yeah. And we've just been so lucky that we've had so many people from people have had completely different experiences we've had some of those legends that won the european cup we've had people who played for the club when we're in league one we've had people who were came to the youth team a lot of the time we've had people who were only there for a few games we just we try to cover every single experience we possibly can and we're just i'm just delighted that other people like it because i am as a fan i want to know whether they kept their medals yeah. or whether they kept their shirts because as fans they're the sort of things that we measure football by. Yeah. Every kit, every sponsor we can name. And it is different for players, and it's good to hear that. And I think they find it slightly twee that fans think about it in that way. No, not all fans do. Uh, but I, I get the sense that you and I are quite similar in that yeah. regard. And yeah. The magic of it. Yeah. It, it, it's so many... I'll tell you what we do as well. We go to the pub afterwards, and the stuff you hear in there... Oh man, so we record the podcast and I think that's been really good. The yeah. moment we get to the pub and we're having drinks with them, we think, I wish we could record this. Yeah, because yeah all bets are off, right? It is off the chain. <laughs> Some of the stuff. Well, one of my favourite episodes was Andy Reid and Andy Reid was great oh. on mic, so I can only imagine with a couple of bevies in him down at the pub. <laughs> oh, it was amazing. Alan Rogers. Oh, Rogers as well. Yeah, Tank. Broadcasting that would have been illegal. <laughs> there was stuff that came out in that pub that, that oh my word, we'd have got shut down. That was next level shit. It was, oh, uh, dear. But it's wonderful. And obviously, just as it get into me, any, I still will never lose that feeling of meeting a Forest player, yeah. queuing up at. So, Forest used to have open days at the club when mm-hmm. I was little, and you would mm-hmm. queue up to meet different players. And have a photo with Stan Collymore or Nigel Clough or Roy Keane and get their autograph. And it, it always felt like a really open club. Mm. So as to basically try and continue that in adulthood and for the club to let us do that and to yeah. get us access to these players is really is, is just magical. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. Well, I was going to come on to Reservoir of My Dogs later when I talked about your podcasting experience because you have another podcast that you host as well, which is fantastic. But we'll circle back around to that in a little bit. But just to put a bow on the whole subject of Reservoir Red Dogs, I just encourage our listeners to check it out. As far as I'm concerned, it is the primo Nottingham Forest fan podcast. We are, we're in their slipstream. We're in the eddy right here. I said a few others, <laughs> but Reservoir Red Dogs is, should be your first port of call. Oh, crikey. It's far it's, too uh, Thank you. No, it's fantastic. It really is top, top stuff. So um, anyhow, um, and I've got to say quickly as well, regards to Stuart Pearce. So I feel like a little bit of a traitor. So I'm that little bit older than you. And so I yeah. just caught the back end of the European Cup triumphs. Oh, so I man. remember that. I remember as a kid wow. for my birthday, getting a birthday card with Trevor Francis on. That's how Big Forest Amazing. Uh, fantastic, right? And so as a kid, you know, I loved Robbo. I loved Trevor Francis. I liked Ian Bowyer just because people told me I looked like him. Um, oh yeah you do you do a bit. it's the long face yeah I can see yeah. that yeah, yeah 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 so anyway so of course I love all those boys and I love what they achieved I mean what they what they achieved for Nottingham Forest is remarkable but if you put a gun to my head and you said you're number one Forest player of all time like I would be trying to say the words John Robertson but the words Stuart Pierce would tumble out of my mouth um, yeah. and I think it's it's for all the reasons you said 40 it's just because 
it's because of his character. It's because of how you know he played the game with such kind of visceral passion. Yeah. Like it was there for all to see. And as a kid growing up, even though, again, I'm a little bit older than you, I was still down the park with my mates. And I I didn't care about making the 30-yard Hollywood pass. It would split defense in half. I didn't care about scoring a hat trick with a final one, the final goal being an overhead kick. I wanted to kick the shit out of the guy I was marking. <laughs> I wanted to take lumps out of him, Stuart Pierce style. I wanted Absolutely. for someone on the team to nickname me Psycho. Yes. Um, just, exactly the same. Oh, just legend. So, yeah, I, I feel like, again, I should be referencing players from 79 and 80, and they're amazing, and I love them to bits. But, yeah, so, so my, my, I've got a quick story about Psycho. It's not a particularly good one, and it's slightly homoerotic. But I remember Sounds being great. at the... Uh, <laughs> 40s like great leads into the mic. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm dropping my pants now. <laughs> I remember being at the old Wembley and it was the England-Brazil game where Gary Lineker had to score that penalty to be the all-time top goal scorer for England. Yes. And he, and he muffed it. He muffed his lines, unfortunately. But that day... Stuart Pearce was sub, which I was gutted about because obviously one of the joys of watching England back in the day was that you got to see, you know, Clough pull on the shirt for England and Webby and Stuart Pearce and Des Walker. Anyway, that particular day, Psycho was on the bench, which I was a bit pissed off about, but it meant that when he was sent to warm up, he came running down the track and he actually stopped directly in front of us and then proceeded to, be- as he was like facing the field of play, proceeded to bend over to touch his ankles to stretch his hammies. And yeah. I got to see Stuart Pierce's thighs in all their stretched out glory. Wow. <laughs> like a horse. <laughs> and I wish I had a, ca- I wish that was a day of you know, smartphones because it was one of the most magnificent things I'd ever seen. Wow. And, and like you said, like, is that image still clear? Oh, crystal. I can close and what my were they eyes. like? <laughs> I don't think I could have gotten my arms around any one of them. They were so... I mean, he must have worked on them in the gym. He oh. must have been pumping iron them because they were unusually big for a footballer. They really were. Yeah, they really were. And I think that, like, I think about the wingers of the day. I think about, um, you talk about people you're on the radio with. Pat Nevin's often on the radio. Love Pat love Nevin. Love Pat Nevin. Yeah, seems like a really, really nice bloke and very, very intelligent. And I love hearing him on the radio. But as a winger, it looked like he'd get carried away by a stiff breeze. Right? Mm. It looked like he could snap him in two by looking at him. I can't imagine what must be going through Pat Nevin's mind when he lined up for Everton against Stuart Pearce. And you just look oh. at those thighs as Pat Nevin, being like, if he gets a hold of me at all, that's it. All bets are off. I'm out for the rest of the season. So, uh, I think that yeah. was a lot of his, that was a huge part of his game, Pearce, was fear, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, so many ex-players. Paul Merson, I saw him on Sky a few weeks ago, just saying he would just avoid him. Yeah, you said yeah, you I, set I to him. play against him. Like most people would avoid Stuart Pearce. It was yeah. great having him in the side. He didn't. Half the time, the job was was one was psychological. So, in terms of emulating your heroes, there is a Matt Ford moment that people need to go check out on YouTube. Your appearance on Soccer AM. Oh yeah, <laughs> which, which one? Because uh, the one yeah. where you score the goal, proceed oh, to man. rip off your shirt. All yeah. of which is very impressive. The goal, ripping off your shirt. Yeah. But Matt, why did your bare-chested slide on turf? What were you thinking? Well, you know what? It was, it was AstroTurf. It was 4G. Oh. And the... It hurt. You know what? Actually, I did it again. I did it again a Do few months ago. Do you slap nipples now? <laughs> I know. You know what? I did it again a couple of months ago. And as a joke, they were like, take the shirt off again. 
So I did it and then kind of bottled the slide this time because the oh, yeah, memory okay. of it, oh man, it hurt. But that first time, <laughs> the slide, it was like, um, it's like taking a massive cheese grater to your gut. Oh, it was horrendous. The burn for weeks afterwards. It was just, very, very bad. I watched it again. I, I saw oh, it at the time and I watched it again a uh, couple of days ago in preparation for this, for this uh, uh, interview. And um, I'd forgotten that you actually did that at the end. And the minute you went to do it, I was like, Matt, no! <laughs> <laughs> and down I was just you went. so was giddy. Like, the thing is, scoring is scoring a goal on telly, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's absolutely. Just, uh, I just got so excited. I, was like, <laughs> I couldn't think straight. The moment I was on the ball, I was just panicking. I, mean, I think I'd hit the bar, I'd hit the post. I was hitting everything, couldn't get it in. And then just hit it so hard. The keeper gets the hands with it, but it still goes in. And I was just like, I've basically scored on Sky Sports. Yeah. Fantastic. I didn't even think. I just went ballistic. <laughs> um, well, folks need to check yeah, it out. It's it a great clip. Uh, it's a great clip. Got me in a bit of trouble. Speaking of great memories, um, I've heard you tell this story before, but not all of our listeners may have heard it. And it's such a great story. And again, with him being such a hero of mine, Brian Clough. Matt, tell us if you would about your memories of meeting Brian Clough back in the day, because you actually were at the city ground. You were on duty, right? You were actually there for a particular was, yeah, purpose. Was, so talk, talk was, us through it. I was uh, I was a mascot for one of his last ever games, mm-hmm. and at the time, that didn't really occur to me that that was part of the story. But it was the third of March, nineteen ninety three, in the first season of the Premier League, and we played Crystal Palace and drew one all, and Roy Keane scored the equaliser. But before the game, as the mascot, you get introduced to the to the, to the player. It's just the most overwhelming experience you can imagine. It was the first mm. time I met Brian Clough, and he is. It was beyond football at the time. It was more like meeting someone who was the prime minister and a football manager and a rock and roll star. Like it was just all these different things rolled into one. He's yeah. an authority figure in so many ways. And he's in charge of this team of, even at the time we were in dire straits, were gods really. It's like Roy Keane, Nigel Clough, Pierce sadly was injured. Um, so I'm in there, in the dressing room, the players are just walking around naked. It's just, you, it's everything your mum told you to report. So you're like, <laughs> what is going on? Like, I could pick Roy Keane's penis out of a lineup today. Like, these images are just seared. And um, Clough's there and he's conducting everything. He's like, oh man. And I had uh, uh, eczema on my face. Mm-hmm. I've always suffered with it. I had blood around my face. Me too, actually. Clough. Funnily enough. Well, it's yeah. a good job you didn't meet him when I did because Clough, and I remember the smell of alcohol on his breath and I think it was the first time I'd really smelled that sort of sweet yeah. alcohol smell. And uh, he just looked at me and went, bloody hell, son, you are an ugly bugger. <laughs> what you been doing all afternoon? Headbutting pizzas? I said, and I was a shy kid. I said, um, no, Mr. Clough, it's eczema. He said, oh, I'll give you granddad Brian a kiss. He k- kissed me on the top of the head. He takes me into the physio's room and there's a couple of players in there getting their legs done. Graham Lyas is in there. He said, have we got anything for this young man's face? And he gives me this stuff called Betnovate, which is a steroid-based, it's a thick ointment. Uh-huh. And anyway, I have a photo of him that I treasure to this day of him in his green jumper hugging me in, in my forest kit. Oh, and it's just overwhelming. The, the other part of this story is I, you're, you're kind of overwhelmed as a kid. You're just you're so nervous. You're really crippled by nerves in this. Uh, 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 they sort of stick me in the tunnel. They didn't really explain to me what happened. So the team walk out and leave me behind. <laughs> and then I have to walk out with the ref 
And like, you know, to this day, <laughs> it's funny in retrospect, at the time, like, I never lived it down at school. I must be the only mascot that didn't walk out with the team. I'm still like, why didn't they... T- I was stood next to them. Why didn't Nigel Clavo... Uh, anyway? I grab you, yeah. Yeah, and it was just... I felt really bad for my mum because she had to save up... She didn't have much money and she had to save up for ages to make it happen. And I sort of felt like I'd scuffed it, you know, but I, I suppose in a way I got a story out of it which was worth more than the... Matt, do you always feel like you were destined to be a comedian? <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Maybe this was all part of it. But... um. So then, so then I've I basically I've been insulted by the manager for being ugly. The team have left me behind. I've walked out with the referee. We draw one all. Obviously, the season ends and is getting relegated. Yeah, yeah. Um, years later, I meet Clough again. He brings out his second autobiography, Walking on Water, and he's signing mm-hmm. them in WH Smith's in, in Nottingham. And I queue up for ages. And I take that photo of me and him from that day. Mm-hmm. And I get to the front of the queue. I said, oh, can you, can you sign this as well as my book, please, Mr. Clough? And he looked at the photo. He looked at me and went, oh, I looked a lot better back then. So did you, you fat bastard. <laughs> and signed Brilliant. it. So the only two times I properly met him, he, he insulted me, but he gave me two great stories. And I was just, even then, so even then towards the end when the kind of, the light had faded a little bit, mm. Still had the authority of Brian Clough. He still had an incredible... I have never met anyone so charismatic. And yeah. that charisma is... It's not just the fame. It's the wit, twinned with the warmth, twinned with an element of danger. Mm-hmm. And a kind of animal. There's something in his evolution that is like... You almost feel like you do when you're at a zoo and the lion might leave the cage. You know, you want to be absolutely sure that cage is secure. There's something so powerful about his presence. But he's also so generous and warm. I've never met anyone with that sheer force of personality. And I yeah. think even now, when you watch old clips of him back, even from the 70s, even before he's at Forest, I don't think, I think maybe Muhammad Ali is the only person as charismatic as him that's ever lived. Yeah. And maybe Jesus. <laughs> right. So I mentioned, obviously, a few times, Matt, you play your trade as a comedian, a very good one indeed. And I'm wondering, do you see parallels between your work and football? Because oftentimes as a comedian, right, you're making fun out of bad situations or you're kind of holding a mirror up to something, right, to, to kind of, uh, you know, make light of it. And as a football fan, especially as a Forest fan, it feels like until recently that's all we've been doing, right? So do you see those similarities? Do you see those connections? I think there are certain, there probably are certain parallels that, um, of being a comedian and being a football fan because you have to be able to, uh, I mean, being a football fan on the whole, certainly being a Forest fan is more failure than success, really. Right. Certainly in the last 21 years. Um, and dealing with that and finding gallows humour in it. Um, and why, you know, the loyalty that inspires you to be a football fan really is, is more akin to a religion because why would you keep going? You know, if you were logical about it. And paying for it. Yeah, it would be like constantly <laughs> losing at a casino and, and loving it. <laughs> You'd be like, oh, the atmosphere <laughs> yeah. of the slots when I throw away my week's wages. You'd be like, what is... Because it's more than that. So the results yeah. aren't the thing. And I think yeah. that's the thing. To, obviously, we God, are desperate for success and, and mm-hmm. to see it again. And I believe it will come. But there's something more. And I think, in a way, it's very different to comedy. Comedy is... Uh, you know, if I was doing gigs where... <laughs> I was dying on my ass all season. <laughs> I would retire. I would retire. It wouldn't be worth it. So do 
do, do forest results ever impact you on stage? I mean, do you ever go on stage of a Saturday night off the back of a heavy forest defeat and be like, oh, fucking hell, I don't want to do this tonight. Do you ever feel like, like influencing you at all on your attitude while you're on stage? It did once, and I was so ashamed of myself yeah. that... Um, because people have paid money. I mean, yeah. I, you know what? The audience might not have noticed. Right. But I remember thinking, I think... I think we lost... I think it was... You know what? I think it was after the... Uh, after Derby put five past us a few years oh. ago. And I think I gigged the following day and I still wound up about it. Yeah. And it definitely affected me. And I felt really ashamed that I'd been, I felt like I'd been immature, but then I'm like, it really matters to me. Yeah. And uh, it's hard to compact. Yes, that's the only time. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. And it, it, the problem is with, I mean, every football fan's different. So I've got mates who are huge football fans, but they really think it's immature when other football fans let results affect them. Where I'm like, I can't. <laughs> I, it does it does a bit it does yeah. a bit you know yeah. days are ruined if Forrest lose for me not yeah. not weeks but I'm I, I for the rest of the Saturday I'm, I'm in a bit of a mood definitely well we'll talk more about Forrest uh, here in a few minutes Matt and certainly their upturn of fortunes of recent times which we're all excited about yeah. Although, of course with this whole pandemic situation who knows how the sister the uh, the season's going to uh, conclude, but before we do that, one of the things that our listeners will be familiar with, because we did this with Colin Frey and with Chippers and with Fletch and everyone else that we've had on the show, is we have our dirty half dozen, which is what I've decided to call it now. We have six forest-related rapid-fire questions, Matt, that we're going to pitch to you and ask oh, you not God. to think about. So it's kind of a running joke. I ask people not to think about it too much when they're responding, but then invariably. I circle back on the question and ask you why you selected the answer you did. Oh, so fair enough. We'll, we'll probably end That's up okay. Uh, you know, a rapid fire. Six questions are supposed to take twenty seconds. Probably end up filling the next three minutes. But anyway, so you ready? Yeah. All right. Here we go, mate. First question: Home shirt or away shirt? Home shirt. Ah, classic. Fantastic. Oh, definitely. It's, it's it's the it's the iconic look, isn't it? You can't beat red and white. We're called it's called common new reds, not common new yellows, blues, or greens, or blacks and whatever do you, you remember know. that yellow shirt from years ago that looked like a, a four-year-old had taken a crayon to you know what i've got it as my um phone case oh Matt <laughs> oh man i love that kit i loved it at the time and i love it now i think it's amazing i mean we've had some iconic away shirts and there are some that are fantastic but i just the red shirt with white socks with with white shorts and red socks. i just think yeah. it's beautiful yeah yeah okay uh clough stand or bridgeford end Oh, Bridgeford End. Lower right. Bridgeford, definitely. I mean, I've always been an A-block boy at heart. I, really? My first season to keep was in the A-block. And then my second season to keep was in the Trent when it was terraced. Yeah, yeah. I was always drawn to the loud bit. That's the sort of fan I am. I want to be getting involved in the singing. I want to stand up the whole game. Yeah. I enjoy the atmosphere. That's mm-hmm. a large part of what I go for. So I will always go where the noise is. So Lower Bridgeford all the way. Wonderful. 1979 or 1980? Oh, 79. Yeah, doing it the first time is incredible. Doing it the first time is incredible. I mean, they're both amazing, yeah. but doing it the first time is just yeah. It's like going back to the moon, isn't it? It's 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 Neil Armstrong. You remember? Yeah, absolutely. And, and as much as I love Robbo, and as much as his goal in that second European Cup final was a great finish, there's something really, really iconic about the Francis goal because you know, Robbo set it up. He did something remarkable to even get the ball in the box. Francis, you know, superhuman effort to get on the end of it. He was yeah. a million pound footballer, the first, you know, in, in the British game. There's just something, there's so much icon, 
iconism, iconism, wrapped up in around that, something like that. One of those two words <laughs> or another one. Um, but there's so much like wrapped up, isn't there? In that whole first goal, first European Cup winning triumph. Yeah, um, just the colours of it. It looks exotic. It looks hot mm-hmm. and foreign. And it's just like, wow, Forrester <laughs> playing in this amazing, you know, that doesn't look like a wet Wednesday night in Burnley. This no. looks like, a, 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 you know, a, a, a glamorous place. And the first time you do it, it's, it's uncharted territory, isn't it? Right. Yeah. The second time you probably think, well, we've already done it, we can do it. I mean, I just think they're amazing. And Robbo, I should say, probably is the greatest player that played for Forrest. Yeah. I sadly never got to see him play. But... I'm sure you and your listeners will be delighted to know one of the most amazing people I've ever met. Oh, yeah. And when we go to the pub after, so we've had him on the podcast a couple of times, he'll come to the pub afterwards. He will just start singing. <laughs> he will sing Honky Tonk Women by um, uh, the Rolling Stones. Brilliant. Village Green Preservation Society by uh, the Kinks. Loves a bit of Dire Straits and Mark Knopfler. We'll just break into song. The last time I saw him was just before Christmas. So me, Frank Clark, Colin Barrett, John Robertson, Paul McGregor, and Johnny Owen all went to the pub. So he sat around with these gods. And Robbo was just like doing a gig. And people, this is two in the afternoon in pubs in Nottingham. All the bar staff love him. They're just, he's like this, it's like having Sinatra with you. (laughs) He's just this god in this city and he just bursts into song. Everyone joins in. What is it? He is is a one-off. What is it with left-sided Forest players? Stuart Pearce is well known for his love of music. You've got Reedy on the guitar. You've got Robbo leading vocals. Forest in your band. really, really good point. Yeah. Yeah, we'll uh, see if McGregor can round them all up and get an official band going. (laughs) (laughs) For charity, that'd be incredible. Oh, that would be amazing. All right. Um... This is, I think this is always a bit of a duff question, but I'm waiting for somebody to give me the uncommon answer. PVH or Collymore? Oh, man. I mean, Collymore, I think with Collymore, it's partly the time he was with us. Yeah. The consistency. Mm-hmm. He didn't go on strike. <laughs> <laughs> Not when he was at Forest. Right. I just think getting us promoted and getting us to third yeah. in Europe, was uh, third in the league was just... Uh, amazing yeah. and Van Hoydonk probably a better footballer or I don't know uh, certainly a harder striker of the ball I just think Colin Moore's so magical I think those two seasons are two of the best seasons I've ever seen at the City Ground mm. so it's really hard to pick anyone and obviously Van Hoydonk was a fucking nightmare <laughs> he was a nutter but he, he nutter. could score goals from 40 yards with E it's just yeah. astounding yeah. it's a real shame that he went on strike and had all the petulance about him because he would be remembered far from it. his talent would be remembered rather than his personality but that's got to be Colin Moore yeah, yeah the goal absolutely. against United the goal against Wimbledon <laughs> Jesus Man. if anyone's in any doubt as to Matt Ford's or Red's credentials <laughs> and he could do this all day like Captain you know America what? says Matt could do this all day <laughs> you know what I remember the commentary on those goals I remember the, 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 uh, I mean, I had a season to get that whole period, but then I would record the games and watch them back and on season reviews. It's a bit where Tiger's, Collie Moore, goes through the gears. Ah! And it's a bit where Andy Gray goes, don't tell Stan Collie Moore, he can't do that. That's not in his vocabulary. <laughs> I remember so many bits. There's a bit where I think um, Ian Lones calls a goal in that game because he holds it. He holds it. It's a top hook. <laughs> so many brilliant bits. Oh, thrilled but, in by Lars Bohinen. 
I'm going to come back to that. I've got to try and remember that because there's something else that you were doing that I want our listeners to be aware of. Okay, so I should ask two questions. Uh, Sorry, Sher- I'm sabotaging your quiz. Yes, no, this is brilliant, mate. This is top draw. Sherwood Bear or Robin Hood? I see that's tricky because Sherwood Bear was the original. Or was it that squirrel? I think was the first. I think there was Robin Hood the squirrel and then there was the bear and then we've gone to like proper Robin Hood. Yeah, there was a squ- there was a squirrel was the original mascot we had. I think the squirrel might be in that part of my brain that Fawaz is in. Like I locked him away. Oh, the, the, the sort of the, uh, <laughs> the dirty... Uh, room, room 101. Dirty man draw, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Guilty pleasures that make you feel funny. <laughs> um, I think it was a, it was a, a kind of buck-toothed squirrel was our first mascot. And then the bear. Are you sure you're not just remembering Pierre Van Hoydonk again? <laughs> I wouldn't say that to his face. No, nor would I. Um, <laughs> but I'm pretty confident he's not listening to a forest podcast in North America. So, fair point. But you never know. <laughs> um, I, and then the thing is, Robin Hood makes more sense. Yeah. So it should have always just been Robin Hood. Yeah. So I think the modern one sort of makes sense. But I have a bit. Uh, I'll go Robin Hood. For this, right, fair for enough. The, for the story of Nottingham. And finally, league or cup? Oh, league every okay. time. All right. Nice. No, that, very good. Popular answers. I actually should, I should collate these. I should do a little chart of who answered what, but I think you checked most of the boxes. I think you pretty much were consistent with most of the fellas up in Nottingham. So, Okay, that's good. You've been doing these commentaries of kids kicking balls around. Oh, in the yes. I'm waiting for your, uh, your Alan Partridge version of it. Have you ever heard the Alan Partridge one where he's doing the World Cup goals? Shit! <laughs> Did you see that? That was a goal. Eat my goal, and the goalie's got football pie all over his face. <laughs> He's got a foot like a traction engine. <laughs> I love it when there's a goal and then someone like just celebrates by kicking it in. He goes, a goal! And <laughs> Did you see that? Oh, dear. So Swat! Swat! <laughs> Twat, I forgot that one. Oh, brilliant. So anyway, uh, 40s efforts are a little cleaner, but uh, yeah, check out the Nottingham Forest uh, Twitter account. I'm sure you'll, we'll, everyone listening to this follows it and you'll see kids kicking the ball around in their backyard and 40 doing commentary for it, which is absolutely brilliant. So You know what? It's, it's meant to be a treat for the kids, I think. It's been more of a treat for me because people send these clips of their kids scoring goals or whatever. Yeah. And then I put commentary over it, just a generic... Yeah. Kind of Martin Tyler type sound when Nottingham Forest come into this tie needing a draw. You know, that kind of booming old yeah. school um, rather than the kind of modern crap. But um, putting that over kids playing football and then at Forest they add on like ambient city yeah. ground noise. So you can yeah. sometimes hear like Mull of Kintyre or oh, Nottingham <laughs> or whatever, you know, whatever it is in the background. So it makes it really, I mean, the kids must love it. But for me, it's, um, I get to uh, fantasize that I'm a commentator. Well, it's funny because I, again, regular listeners will know this, but I used to do some commentating for a second tier team here in the US. Amazing. It, it was, it was really, really good. But the first time I did it, I found myself, you know, trying not to channel John Motson or not to channel Colin Frey. It was really hard yes. to have your own voice because you're just so, you know, growing up in England, there's this just iconic voices, right? They just, they're every bit as important almost as the, as the moment itself on the field because you connect the two things like the Kenneth Wilson home, you know, as the fans are on the pitch, they think it's all over. I mean, that is indelibly just connected to that final goal in that 66 World Cup final. So I felt myself like drifting into Motti territory and go, no, 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 come on now. I'm not wearing a sheepskin, get a grip. Um, it's hard because it's not just... 
it's the way that football is talked about seems mm. to like have it's the rules i suppose of football broadcasting that that are each broadcaster brings their own interpretation to it yeah. but with motson obviously he has that way of speaking as well he might do and oh. nottingham forest the ball are judged to have moved and the captain doesn't look too happy trevor and you just you can't help but think well that's how you're supposed to talk about football because i met him at a forest match once and um I used to get to games three hours before kickoff. Right. I would just get all the visiting teams' autographs. So I've got a stash of mid-90s, Fastino Aspria, Alex Ferguson, Ginola, like Janino, Savo <laughs> Milosevic, just like all, John Barnes, the lot, and Motson, Hansen, Tony Gubber, just any of the pundits that were there. And I got Motson's autograph, and then he was there like a fortnight later or whatever, and um, or the following season. And a mate of mine said, you should do your... Motson impression to him he was probably setting me up in reality but I was like oh, right. that's a great idea I went up to Motson I said um, interesting enough John this is the second time we met in as many seasons you may remember the first encounter when Nottingham Forest needed just a draw on the final game of the season in order to qualify for Europe and he just went is that so <laughs> Done my book I don't know I mean I guess he knew what I was you know it felt like a motty thing so that's a brilliant Forty. is that so that is brilliant, Forty. Oh, magnificent. <laughs> it was just amazing memories, really. Magnificent. Do you know what? Until you talk on things like this, you sort of, how often do you ever reminisce about this stuff? Yeah. It's great. Yeah. It's one of the great things about doing a podcast like this. And it's one of the great things about Reservoir Red Dogs as well. You know, you get that opportunity to reminisce and you get that opportunity to kind of just ramble and, um, you know, stories that you just don't tell or conversations you just don't have. It gives you an opportunity to do that. So, so we covered comedy a little bit. We've covered uh, Forest a little bit. I mentioned earlier that you host another podcast. It's called Political Party. You're a comedian. You're a football fan, but you're also like very passionate about your politics. I mean, you're really into it, and you host this podcast. Yeah. And I heard the latest episode with the um, the Mooch. I can't remember his Anthony Scaramucci. Thank you, thank you. We're so used to calling him the Mooch here in the US, uh, which. Which is brilliant, by the way. I listened to the whole thing and it's just, oh gosh, he's, some of the stuff he comes out with on Trump. Yeah. It, and also, I love the fact that he has this, um, I don't want to be disrespectful to him, but he has this kind of slightly mafioso edge to him where he's almost <laughs> like, if I see Trump in a lift, you know, or you don't want to meet me down a dark alley. I'm like, oh my God, he's sort of threatening the president, but not really, but kind of. He's um, an amazing guy. Oh, um, so I met him a couple of years ago. He, he, we flew him over for a TV show I was making in Britain at the time called yeah. Unspun, which was a topical satirical show, like the Daily Show. Mm-hmm. And we got him on as a guest. So I would do, it was a satirical show and it would end with a lighthearted interview with a political figure. So we got him over for it. And I went out for a meal with him the night before in Soho. We had an amazing night. And I got on really well with him, despite, you know, I'm traditionally on the left or the centre left. Um, so sort of liberal wing, really. And you'd obviously worked for President Trump. Um, but he's highly entertaining. And he's not just the uh, the kind of fast talker that people think. He's, he's got a phenomenal brain on him. He really mm. thinks about politics in every way. He's super sharp. He's fast-witted and fast thinker. And um, so as a result of the lockdown, because of doing stuff like this on Zoom, I thought, well, I can now get, because I usually interview people in person, during this period, I can get guests from far further afield. Mm. So I'm getting some more American guests on. I've got David Frum coming on, who was a speechwriter to George W. Bush. Yeah. I'm approaching other people. Uh, because obviously I'm obsessed with American politics as well. But I started 
I started the political party because I was, I'd worked in politics. I'd worked for Labour when Tony Blair and Gordon Brown were prime minister. Um, I'm not a member of any political party now. I think as probably a lot of your listeners in America will feel the same way around the centre ground. Um, it's not been a great few years um, in, in Britain or in America. Mm-hmm. But I respect people of all political persuasions as long as they're not too extreme. And I'm interested as to why, particularly with politicians who get to hold office, why they take the decisions they do. Yeah. In the same way with football, I, I just think it's a fascinating experience. And they affect our lives so profoundly. The decisions they take will decide how long we live, how clever we are. Well, not how clever we are, how educated we are, mm-hmm. how safe we are, how um, wealthy people might become. So... It, I just find them interesting. I love the difference that every politician has. Some are more about the the game, some more about a particular issue. But I think most of them really want to change the world for the better. So I wanted to create a podcast where politicians of all shades could be themselves, because I think most media interviews don't do a great service to politics and politicians, and politicians end up, frankly, coming across as weird, mostly on the media. They're given two Mm. minutes, they're dealt with with a level of contempt they give defensive answers and the public is no better off so i wanted to just give them an arena where they could lower their guard i'm not going to try and catch them out i will take the piss a bit and i will tease and i think it's good for them to show they can laugh at themselves so there's always a bit of ribbing involved in particular ones that i record live at a theater in london but really it's just a, a platform for reasonable political conversation and what is really odd is it's basically the only show out there that does that and that is a real shame i mean it's great yeah. for me um but there's nowhere else where they can sit for an hour, say what they really think. Not, you know, I'm a comedian, so I'm going to pick holes in places. But really, try and engage with the idea. And I just think the thrill of talking to someone you disagree with is is so invigorating, rather than just constantly listening to people you talk about that you agree with. And I mm-hmm. think in America at the moment, so many of your listeners, I'm sure, will identify this, and it's true here in in the UK, is it's become so tribal that mm-hmm. even people who used to be quite reasonable have recognised in themselves that they're becoming more unreasonable. So it was a way of making politics accessible. And from a selfish point of view, getting to interview people, I'm genuinely fascinated by. So I realise that's a very long answer. No. It's... Um, it's been going for seven years now. And, the, and the, the, the Tony Blair's been on it a couple of times. I've got Julia Gillard coming on, the former Prime Minister of Australia. Gordon Brown's agreed to do it. So you, you're talking to world leaders about the decisions they took. And um, as well as people, who, again, it's like Reservoir Red Dogs. Some backbenchers, some new MPs, some people who served in the cabinet for years, chancellors, home secretaries, foreign secretaries, and then you know, every shade in between, left, right, centre, Scottish independent, UKIP, Labour, Tory, everyone. I, you know, I just think they're all endlessly fascinating. So there's a, there's a, there's a library there now of really of modern British history told through the interviews with these people. Yeah, Gordon Graham's, uh, Brown's going to be a great one. I remember hearing him on Desert Island Discs. And uh, yeah, he was a fantastic interview. So I look forward to hearing that one, Matt. And it's interesting, This you're right, this culture of we just create our own echo chambers anymore. And particularly in social media, you know, we, it feels like social media should be a way to broaden our access to the world. And in fact, what it's enabled us to do is really silo ourselves and only engage with those people you know, who are like-minded. And I think it's not just within the political arena. I think socially speaking, we've lost the ability to deal with the, the gray. Everything is black yes. or white or red or blue, more to the point. You're, <laughs> you either agree with me or you're wrong. Think about that. That's a really fucked up attitude to have toward one another. You agree it with is, me or not you're just wrong. wrong. Not just wrong, bad. 
Yeah. Morally yeah. reprehensible if you disagree. It's not just like, oh, I think, you know, wrong, wrong would be progress now because we've been moving <laughs> in the right direction. It's like, you must be evil if you right. don't agree with me. And, yeah. and this, I know it's a pejorative about any one wing. I think once you get away from the centre, the further you move to the extremes, it's just typical on left and right. Agreed. Um, and sadly, it, it, some people in the centre are like that as well. You know, it's, it's everywhere. Some people are just deeply unreasonable. And I, I think... On social media, it's a really good thing to follow people you disagree with. Not people that wind you up too much, but find the reasonable voices on the other side and follow them. Yeah. Um, because it just, I always think with these things, you either, it's good to have your point of view challenged because either you reinforce your point of view with some extra thinking or you might change your opinion and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. So you've won either way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, as we mentioned earlier in the interview, uh, our listeners should all be checking out Reservoir Wet Dogs. But if you have, also have an interest in hearing some of Matt's political interviews as well, uh, and obviously you just heard there a litany of incredible people that he's spoken with and will be speaking with over the coming months. And you should check out his political party podcast as well, folks. Cheers, mate. No worries. Now, we're gonna, obviously, we can't wrap up this interview without asking you uh, about how forest season will end. But I want to kind of tie everything together. Comedian interest in politics, obviously love for Forrest. And the fact that I know you're good friends with, uh, and obviously this is primarily an American audience where I have you, Matt, and you're good friends with the leader of our nation, our fine president, Donald Trump. And so instead, Matt, instead of asking you about Forrest's season and how I might conclude, I have a couple of questions I'd, I'd like to direct to Donald Trump, if that would be okay. okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get him in. Fantastic. Right, here he is. Over to you, Donald. Thank um, you very much. <laughs> Okay, I've already lost it. <laughs> uh, so, President Trump, thank you so much for, for talking to us. Just had a couple of questions. It's a great honour to be here on the on the Derby County podcast. I know you're a great, great team. And I think Derby are one of the best teams I've ever seen in Scotland. You're very good people, very, very a proper footballing side that I have a great deal of respect for. And I know a lot of people call you sheep shaggers, but I, I think that is a good thing. I think it is a love for animals that a lot of people don't have. Um, so obviously you're known, you're known for being a very smart, very well-respected leader, uh, here in the, obviously the greatest nation, uh, on, on the planet. So I, I just be get interested to get your perspective, leader to leader. What are your thoughts on the Nottingham Forest head coach, Sabri Lemushi? I think Sabri is a great, great man, very good friend of mine. And I, I advise him a lot. I, I told him, I think Maddie Cash would be better in goal because he... <laughs> I think he looks like a goalkeeper. I think he has very long <laughs> legs and that can come in handy. He wears a long sleeve shirt. And I thought they were just a goalkeeper. So I said, you got to put Medicash in goal. And uh, Sabri is, well, as you know, he is French. So that is a problem for me. <laughs> right. Because yeah. they cannot be relied upon a lot of the time. But I think, I think he's very cool. I like the scarf he wears. And that Great scarf, I, like, yeah. I like the fact he keeps himself warm. That is very important. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So finally, um, President Trump, Nottingham Forest season is on pause right now. Obviously, professional football is currently uh, suspended due to this pandemic, which I have to say, you're doing a fantastic job of dealing with in the United States. Well, it's a hoax. It's a, the whole thing is a hoax from China. Right. And people, right. people say to me, they say, you should not call it the Chinese virus, but I say, come some China. I mean, do these people <laughs> right. get annoyed when I say French fries or, or German porn? I don't great, think they do. Yeah, great, great point. Absolutely, yeah. So, so, um, but when the season does resume, uh, hopefully it will, and Forrest will have a chance to 
to wrap up what's been a really positive season so far. How do you imagine the season might end? Are you seeing Nottingham Forest finally securing promotion to the English Premier League? I think Nottingham, I don't think there's any doubt, by the way, they're a great club, very, very big club, very, very, very beautiful, very beautiful club right there on the side of the River Thames. And they, they obviously play many things. They play cricket and baseball yeah. <laughs> at the, at the great middle, middle ground. But they, I think they will win. I don't, you know what? I, I actually don't think, I don't think it's just about the championship this season. I think they could go the way. I think they will win the Premier League this season. <laughs> right. Okay. I gotta believe in it. I talk to a lot of soccer fans. They say there's no way Forrest can win the Premier League because they're not in it. I say you gotta be in it to win it. Yeah. yeah. And they agree. <laughs> they agree. And I talk to a lot of f- football players that say I could have played. David sure. Platt said I was the best player he'd ever seen. <laughs> and I don't think he was joking. It's amazing he didn't sign you, honestly. I mean he Well, he tried to bring me, by the way. I yeah. I, I wouldn't tell anybody else this, Mark, but they did. They tried to sign me for for Nottingham Forest, but I I I don't think I was bad enough. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> well, thank you, President Trump. We appreciate it. Um, got to wrap been up. A great here. honor. Thank you so much, um, Matt Ford. Legend, absolute right. legend, mate. <laughs> they, they say you shouldn't meet your heroes. You're one of my comedy heroes. Oh uh, man, that is so. This has been such a treat. This has been one of the most enjoyable interviews I've ever done. Oh, that's awesome! Wow, it's been a real, real pleasure. And I hope to. Um, I hope to. Uh, well, I, I've always wanted to come to Texas. So hopefully, I'll meet you in Texas. I've well, come to New York. I've met Dan and uh, Carl from the New York Supporters Club. So. I'll, well, I, I would love to come to one of the New York meetups, and one of the American meet, meetups. You know, just be. I love America. I just think it's. I just. I've always wanted to live there. Yeah. And I love coming. So. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Well, I mentioned right. your your interview with the Mooch, and he invited you to his restaurant in New York. When you make your way to Austin, Texas, we're known for barbecue. So I will take you for the best barbecue you have ever eaten in your life. Brilliant! It's a deal. Fantastic. Let's do it fantastic matt ford it's been an absolute pleasure my friend um, all the best to you and when your tour resumes we'll go ahead and post out the tour details um on our twitter Thank account you. i know some of our listeners are in the uk as well the bulk in the us of course but we do have some listeners in the uk and folks should check you out you're a fantastic comedian and as i mentioned at the beginning of the interview one of our own <laughs> cheers mate you know what actually i think there was talk of me doing a couple of new york dates at some point oh yeah so hopefully Hopefully I could, uh, you know, that would be a lifelong dream for me. So hopefully I can, I mean, I'll probably get arrested for doing that Trump impression, but uh, <laughs> what a way to go. It'll be worth it, mate. I'll be there for sure. Okay, thanks so much, mate. I do appreciate Cheers, it. Take Mark. care. Thank Cheers, Mark. Thank you. Cheers. Hey, this is Shane Malcolm. And this is Jordan Schweitzer. We're the creators of Boot Bags. Fashionable, durable, washable. Boot Bags are the most convenient way to carry your cleats to and from training or games. Check us out at bootbags.us. You're listening to the Forest Fancast Podcast.